Hey, and welcome to episode 55 of the Thoughtcast, conversations about animation. And today we're talking about a direct-to-video animated film. And um, yes, it is I, Philip Elke, your host, coming to you from northern Minnesota. And today I'm joined by one of our favorite co-hosts to have on this show, uh, coming to us from the state of Georgia, way down south, it's Jody Pulaski. Hey, Jody, good to have you back. Always excited to be here and especially excited to talk about my favorite animated bat because I'm pretty sure they're few and far between, but I'm excited to talk about Bar Talk with you today. This is an interesting adventure that we're going on. I know it's kind of fun to just take a look back and explore some of the things that have kind of gone by the wayside, potentially, um, things that just are a little lesser known and just kind of put our finger on the pulse of where the culture was at back in 1999 when direct-to-video uh, sequels were all the rage and um, we were just, we were but young tots. Um, yeah, you probably remember this movie a little bit from when we were young, right? Yeah, I definitely do. When we talked about doing Anastasia, which I unfortunately missed um, getting to hop on with that episode, I remember bringing up Bartok a little bit. Um, he doesn't have like a huge role in Anastasia, but he's the sidekick of Rasputin. And they made this, this spin-off story of him, I guess you'd almost call it a prequel because it happens before Anastasia. And I didn't remember the storyline originally, but I did remember some of his little his little songs that he sings to the community. And it did kind of tap into some memories for maybe like second or third grade. Um, I think I might've had this VHS. I know for sure that I watched it a few times at some sleepovers. So yeah, it did tap into my, to my far off memory. Yes, yeah, fighting off, I don't know, as uh, my brother and I commented on a previous episode, it's sort of uh, fighting off the Mandela effect, which is where you have a collective memory that ends up being proven wrong uh, for, for whatever reason, sometimes in society, we'll remember something and it turns out it was actually, you know, something different or it, it never happened. I don't know, some weird things like that with like the Berenstein Bears and I don't know, it's called the Mandela effect. Um, but, you know, just, just a lot of weird, obscure memories from back in these days uh, when it was kind of before the internet, you know, was, was quite as big a deal as it is now, 1999. It was the early days of the internet. Um, and yeah, it was, um, it was a simpler time, shall we say. Uh, and, and yeah, 2D animation was a lot more prevalent than it is now. Uh, nowadays, a movie like this would be made using kind of the 3D uh, CGI method. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting anomaly, and there are a few ways in which that is so. Um, but yeah, we uh, unfortunately missed you, Jody, last week on our Anastasia episode, and, and that was a blast from the past, but certainly one that's far less obscure, uh, a musical as well. And I was just kind of taken aback. I mean, it had been a while since I'd revisited that film but just how well it fits into, like, say, the Disney musical canon. Um, mm -hmm. I, I thought it was very reminiscent of that. Uh, so Anastasia, definitely a one to keep on your 
like rotation, you know, to, to revisit frequently, I would say, because it, it was surprisingly good. Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on Anastasia? I think as, as far as one of these, like, I guess you'd call it a non-Disney princess. I think this movie was so polished and so elaborate. It was one of my favorite animated features growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the moodiness of it as well as the, the lightness of, of her character, that hope, that's that searching feeling. I listened to the episode you guys made last week about it, and, and I agreed with all of your, your points, and you guys went through it pretty thoroughly. Um, I probably would have added a little bit more because I, like, I I'm, have this weird, like, obsession with Rasputin and his, like, normal life and, like, who he was as, like, a real-life villain in the history of that. But, but I think you guys did a great job touching on that, and um, the story, it's, it's really rich, and I think it's kind of exciting when they rewrite history, like, as it might have been, you know, Anastasia this it's sort of like fake history sort of like pocahontas you know yeah yeah it takes extreme liberties with yes sort of a historical landmark a historical narrative um but if you're okay with accepting that then mm-hmm. yeah uh, you know you're in for a good quality piece of entertainment and and that movie was actually pretty successful in russia you know even though they would be particularly critical of certain things, but um, that, I mean, they were cool with the liberties that it took with historical uh, events and, you know, accepting that they were able to get on board with some of the other elements that were pretty faithful to, uh, to Russian culture. Uh, This, you know, Bartok, the Magnificent, the direct-to-video sequel, it came out two years after Anastasia. That's a quick turnaround. Yeah. I didn't know it was only two years. Yeah, I wasn't sure if this movie, because I have vague memories of this movie when I was young, but if if this would have so much of the Russian influence or if it would be a bit more generic, you know, European fantasy type of thing. Uh, this film is a lot more abstract than Anastasia. But it, uh, it is definitely very Russian, and, and they reference Moscow several times, and part of it does take place in Moscow. Um, so, I, you know, another take on a Russian folktale, essentially, in this go-around, uh, from famed animation director Don Bluth and his uh, collaborator, his close collaborator, Gary Goldman. Jody, you you maybe are familiar with some of Don Bluth's other films. Uh, do you have any kind of, I don't know, favorites? I, I think yeah. he's he did American Tale and like Secret of Nymph, things like that, right? Yep. I really like Secret of Nymph. That one, it was creepy. <laughs> to me, it was creepy. I haven't watched mm. it in decades now. But Secret of Nymph st- stands out to me because the cover of that, at least the version I had, the VHS I had, had this rat with these glowing like possessed eyes yeah um and i i really liked that one i thought it was a very grown-up movie at the time i'm gonna have to rewatch it to like tell you my real thoughts on it but that was probably one of my favorites and i did like he did all dogs go to heaven i believe yes um i liked that one too except for my mom kind of ruined it for me because i mean <laughs> we're a christian family and she's like just so you know like dogs don't have souls like dogs don't go to heaven like, yeah. <laughs> so right. I remember, like being kind of more like sad about that one. But, yeah i mean i enjoyed his movies growing up and and i think i enjoy them now he he clearly has a good repertoire that that's out and and about mm-hmm. and well um, there was one more that stood out to me he did land before time or yep Yes, yes. Yes. Land before time which that one wasn't something that i really loved but i remember seeing 
I mean, what, they had like seven like sequels to that one. I feel like there was mm-hmm. a lot of Land Before Time mm-hmm. out and about. Yeah, his films, his original works have been sequelized to death. Uh, yeah, they they made a Secret of Nim sequel, I think just one. Uh, American Tale, at least two sequels, I think. And Land Before Time, just endless. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, All Dogs Go to Heaven, I know had some spinoffs too. I, yeah, sequels slash spinoffs with all of these. Um, but then after All Dogs Go to Heaven, go to heaven um, he kind of entered into a slump with some sort of forgotten uh, misfires like Rockadoodle. Um, oh, Rockadoodle, the chicken. And yeah. The yeah, that one I forgot about as well. I, so I barely yeah, even knew about it. Did he uh, do Fern, not Fern Gully, did he do um, Troll in Central Park? He did that. There oh, were I two. I liked that one a lot. I liked that one a lot. Two released the same year in 1994: Troll in Central Park and Thumbelina. Oh, I like uh, Neither of which were very successful. Um, and then Pebble and the Penguin. Oh, I loved. It. Okay, you're really digging up. You must have this list because I was only yep. thinking of Secret of Nymph, but but I remember and liked all those. Man, he was a busy guy. So he was directing all these. Did he work on the sequels or was he? more like the originator and then they'd be hands off after that this is his only sequel this one mm-hmm. bar talk yes oh <laughs> maybe maybe he's not a sequel kind of guy <laughs> well maybe because he was kind of on the outs for a while mm-hmm. like they maybe had him pay his dues so to speak a little bit working on this uh, direct-to-video sequel uh, even though Anastasia was a hit, it was a pretty tremendous hit for its time. Um, but, you know, it was coming off of this successive string of uh, pretty objective failures. Uh, yeah, Rocket Doodle, Thumbelina, Troll in Central Park, The Pebble and the Penguin, and then Anastasia. Finally, he was able to pull one, you know, out of his hat. And, uh, yeah. and then he went to Bartok right after that. Yeah, Bartok. next one. Shoot. That's right. He went from high to the low because I, I think with Bartok, you can definitely tell they probably had some budget cuts from <laughs> working with the Anastasia movie to this. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think we're going to keep this to a bit of a shorter episode, but, um, and this movie is only 66 minutes long. I, I don't think there's a lot of information out there about this film, but I th- I'm guessing it was mainly just to sort of keep the animation studio busy while they worked on or while they were kind of workshopping uh, other projects. Um, And that includes Don Bluth's follow-up to this film, which is Titan AE. And that's actually his last feature film. Although he's uh, talked about doing a Dragon's Lair feature film um, in the style of his classic hand-drawn animation. Um, But that, remains to be seen if that'll ever be finished but yeah after this film which was maybe moderately successful it's hard to say because it was it wasn't made for theatrical release but then titan ae which came out in um 2000 i yeah i think yep just one year yeah uh pretty amazing that whole turnaround but um you know, that movie did not perform well in theaters. Do you remember that, Titan AE? 
I have absolutely no idea. And I mean, if it's some type of superhero or alien thing, I probably wasn't interested in it back in the 90s. Hmm. It's, Did you see it? Yeah, yeah it's very sci-fi. And like I was such a big Star Wars fan. I, I don't know. Did that read to you? I, I feel like everyone in our class was pretty aware that I was obsessed with Star Wars at a, at a fairly young age. Yeah, we had a class of what, 47 kids. So we all knew each other pretty much, at least these surface type of things about each other. Yeah. Because we all grew up, I mean, from kindergarten until 12th grade all together. So yes, we knew you like Star Wars because, <laughs> I mean, you had a couple shirts and maybe like yeah. a hat. So yeah, it was kind of your thing. I don't know how pronounced it was back in 2000 when Titan <laughs> AE came out but i mean i had gone to see like episode one in theaters which was 1999 and then yeah titan ae came out the year after i don't think i saw that in theaters but we did rent it on on home video a couple times actually we never ended up owning that one just kind of evaded our grasp <laughs> so you um, went to t-bears and got it from the wall what what a poll remember t-bears you're exactly right <laughs> t-bears the um convenience store in town that had video rental and pizza shop mm-hmm um, you're absolutely right and more than once rented titan ae uh because you know it's just such a fantastic uh, sci-fi adventure but animated like anastasia basically the same art style as An as anastasia um bartok the magnificent has a you know basically the same art style but it's this isn't even a widescreen film. Um, the colors are, are definitely more like um, saturated. Um, it's designed to be more fantastical and more medieval looking, uh, even though I think it's supposed to be set in like early 1800s maybe or 17, I, I have no idea. It's, it's kind of just supposed to be this broad fantasy, I feel. Uh, and since Ra uh, Bartok, you know, he's, Clearly not a normal, ordinary albino bat since he can talk. So I guess he just is sort of immortal and has been alive for, you know, maybe hundreds of years. I mean, I don't really know how long bats live. Maybe they do live. I mean, turtles live hundreds of years. So. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, yeah. I thought this movie kind of reminded me, you were talking about like the vividness and the, the saturation of the movie. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, it's a Disney one, but do you matter, remember like Madame Mim from Sword and Stone, that kind of, she yeah. has like pink hair and she can change into different animals. I feel like this movie kind of made me feel sort of like that, that, that whimsical bright mm -hmm. color. Yeah, if I did some research into Bartok the Magnificent in terms of like its development, I'm sure I would come across uh, the creators referencing Sword in the Stone because that, that does seem like a pretty significant influence on this film, if I had to guess. Yeah, even the color scheme of the villain that they had. Um, so the prince's aunt, isn't she the villain? I, is she aunt or is she did, kind of the caretaker? Did they say? I, I don't know. This just shows how yeah. I didn't probably pay the most attention. But the villain of the movie, she mm -hmm. she had kind of like a purple color scheme, which kind of like made me think of Maleficent, the Madame Mim, and, and when she can kind of shape shift. She mm -hmm. kind of pulled in. So this movie to me kind of was like not a really good story, but it had a lot of good story parts that were yeah. thrown in to make 
this movie. Do you know what I'm kind of saying? Like they took a bunch mm-hmm. of like story ideas and and put it in a movie. It's it's an interesting. I don't know. It's an interesting film. I mean, <laughs> they, there there's some ideas at play here, and you know, the, it wasn't the most um, poignant film for me. Like it, it and, and I don't think it's designed to be super profound either. But uh, I I did think it contains some interesting artistry. Uh, it almost did have a bit of like a Hayao Miyazaki feel, just in how abstract it was you know just just very purely fantastical uh and and i i did appreciate the animation and how just um it took advantage of the medium in many ways it did not try to be nearly as realistic or grounded as uh as anastasia i think this one what i sort of noticed they kind of had some 2d but like 3d moments in there did you kind of notice mm-hmm. that, that they threw in some of that every now and then? With the yeah. It, it wasn't kind of consistent with the animation. And I don't know if that was normal for the time because maybe they were starting to experiment with different looks. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes that was a little, I don't know, because I was watching for the animation. I found that maybe mm-hmm. a little distracting. But maybe you would know if that's common, that they would play with two and one like that. Yeah, that was all over the place during this era of traditional animation um, and it was kind of like a transitional period between uh, hand-drawn animation and purely computer animation uh, and yeah you would see a lot of objects on screen that were clearly rendered using like computer uh, modeling uh, software you know the the like that cart that um, yes, Bartok that's exactly drives. what I was thinking of. <laughs> an interesting that that was an interesting vehicle unto itself. The way it's like uh, wind propelled. <laughs> it's, it's got a <laughs> sail, but it rolls on wheels. I mean, th- this Bartok clearly is a, a very crafty fellow. Um, but yeah, it does use some of those um, techniques that fell into fashion during the days when, you know, computer technology enabled uh, artists to build these objects in a computer and and then, you know, let them sort of manipulate them um, on screen rather than having to draw them out frame by frame. It was just a lot easier to do that than, you know, what you would have had to do prior to like the mid 1980s where if you wanted to draw this uh, sail sailing cart vehicle, you know it just it would be done in the same fashion as you would any other moving object on screen, where you know you just you have to draw it out line by line. Do you mind that? Like, I feel like it's always more smooth when the animation's like a little more consistent throughout. But does it bug you at all? Maybe that's just a me thing. Um. I, I do think it does somewhat detract, yeah, from the overall effect, uh, bec- because uh, it, it just feels slightly lazier, I guess, when you have those those obviously computer-generated objects uh, interacting with you know the, the hand-drawn elements. But you can just accomplish so much more using that method too. So I kind of understand, you know, the compromise. 
especially because they only had two years. I mean, we talk about mm-hmm. sometimes how long these movies take to animate. Well, I mean, even now um, mm-hmm. in general. So two years is a time crunch. So I'm sure that the animators were happy to be able to utilize some of those um, technologies when they were throwing it all together. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes uh, even the later Hayao Miyazaki films have moments like that where, where there are things that were clearly created using computer software. Um, but they're, they're done very artistically and deliberately uh, to where it's not, not really distracting. And, and personally, like there are a lot of people who are animation purists who, you know, lament the decline of hand-drawn animation, you know, traditional 2D method, um, which has almost been fully like replaced by <laughs> CGI. Uh, but but I'm definitely a big av- advocate for CGI animation. I I love it just as much as the traditional style, if not if not more so, just because you can really create just such vibrant worlds using modern CGI. Um, how do you feel about that? I think initially I had a little bit of a pushback to it just because I liked how it was. And I, I mean, I wanted kids to experience the, again, Disney princesses the way I experienced them. But then when Rapunzel came out, yeah. that's when I was really like over it. I decided, you know, as long as the story is beautiful and that the art is consistent. And I mean, now I'm, I'm a true fan of all of it. But I, mm-hmm. for a second there, I was one of those people who's like, oh, why would you ever like change? You know, why would you ever pull away? But, but now I like it both. To me now, it's more about the music and the stories. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Bartok, there was a little bit of music. They really have like two songs right at the beginning, making you think this whole thing's going to be a musical, but the music really doesn't do much for it. Neither does the story. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's the same uh, composers as, the, uh, as Anastasia. I don't know if you knew that Lynn Aron and Stephen Flaherty returned to compose music for this film. Yeah, you were saying that they they utilized a lot of the original team for this one, not only the director but but other members of the the group. Yeah, I I think so. I haven't gone down the entire list of the cast and crew, uh, but I'm guessing you know this was a fairly new studio, uh, Fox Animation Studios in Phoenix, Arizona. Their first feature was um, Anastasia. They were probably formed maybe 93, 94. It'd be fun to pull up some of that info. Um, but yeah, they, they only released three feature films, two of which were theatrical. Uh, and then apart from that, they did some TV and uh, some additional animation on The Prince of Egypt. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't know that. And I love that one. I was just talking to you about wanting to, to revisit that one again soon. Yeah, that film is such an anomaly in itself. Uh, I, in fact, <laughs> I cut out a little segment that we went into on a Anastasia episode, and I just thought it kind of droned on a little bit. So, um, you know, I just f- felt we could do without it. But yeah, it's, it's um, I, I kind of described to Hannah and Dawson how... Um, the Prince of Egypt. I mean, if you look at the box office numbers, they're probably similar to Anastasia. Uh, I, I'm guessing it grossed well over a hundred million, you know, maybe a hundred some million worldwide. Anastasia did 140 million. 
but that movie was just so expensive and so overblown uh, budget-wise that it it uh, it massively underperformed at the box office. It opened against a Meg Ryan film, actually. You got Which mail. One? Oh no! <laughs> and that one was huge. Yeah, super interesting. Uh, so, like the day after opening weekend, they started laying off <laughs> the staff at DreamWorks who have worked on *Prince of Egypt*, um, and and some people really never broke back into traditional animation after. That's such a shame. After they got let go, yeah, yeah. There's an interesting story I heard on a podcast recently called *Disney Coast to Coast*. Uh, interv- an interview with uh, an artist worked on several films in the ink, um, the digital ink and paint department, including Hercules and um, uh, the Prince of Egypt. And, and yeah, he got let go after the completion of Prince of Egypt um, and was not able to find work in animation afterwards because uh, he was super young. So, you know, he was prior, he wasn't prioritized um, compared to more experienced um, animators. Uh, so he ended up just taking a job at the Disney parks <laughs> of all places. Doing what? Scooping ice cream? Um, I, th- I think he ended up training a lot of people who did the animation, um, w- the tutorials that they do. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, animation that had to building. be a really fulfilling job for him. I, I think working at the parks and working with people like that, that'd be really interesting for him. Oh yeah, totally was. He, I guess, wasn't allowed to do the actual tutorials because they hire people from a specific union for those jobs. Um, but he, he was allowed to train the people who did that. Some Interestingly of the union enough. rules don't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it was kind of funny because, you know, a lot of the people at the Disney parks, you know, it, it's such a privilege to like say they work for Disney for many of them. It, it's sort of like they've made it in showbiz mm-hmm. in some respects, you know, being a cast member at a Disney park, but at, on, you know, on the same tokens, like, you know, it's, it's not quite the show compared to like actually working at one of the studios. Obviously there are plenty of people who I'm sure would prefer working at a park rather than one of the studios, but you know, if you've told someone, hey, I used to be an anime, I worked on this movie that we're featuring here in this park, a lot of people would kind of give you a, a funny look and be like, hey, that's kind of, are you making this up right now? And I think a lot of people thought he was when he said, yeah, I, I, uh, I was an animator before I worked here. <laughs> I would have believed him because I feel like sometimes like the most random people have like crazy stories like that. Well, did you know, mm-hmm. actually my fun fact, well, you probably knew this, but Bluth, the one who did Bartok, mm-hmm. he actually started working at a Disney studio. Did you know that? He worked oh, on yeah. Beauty and I think maybe Robin Hood and the Rescuers. I read okay. that. So he, he was working there originally. And then like, from what I read, he believed that Disney had like lost its way and like was cost cutting too many things. Mm-hmm. And that's when he ended up kind of going his separate ways and working with Gary Goldman. That's what I read um, with mm. his kind of origin story is that he started with the Disney company. Yeah, yeah, it is an interesting story, particularly because when he left, th- there were quite a few others who, who left the studio and kind of went separate ways within the animation industry. 
But Wait, did you guys talk about this with Anastasia already? Well, a little bit. But, oh, okay, that's but, where I might have heard it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but what makes Blue so noteworthy is how he was able to directly compete against Disney as successfully as he did. So it really is quite... And then Disney watched Bar Talk and they're like, oh, I think we're safe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I'm yeah. not trying to downplay Bar Talk. Like I said before we even started recording, I think it's entertaining. I think my nephew would really like it. Like, I don't have anything mm-hmm. bad to say about it. It was just short and. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to see here some of the facts about the, the studio. Let's see. The, um, it, it says it was founded August 9th, 1994, Fox Animation Studios. And then it was eventually folded into Fox's other animation division, Blue Sky Studios, uh, which did more CGI stuff. And and they were the studio that released uh, Ice Age and the follow-ups to those films. Ice Age. Mm. Mm -hmm. Their most recent movie was that Spies in Disguise. Did you see that? I don't think I ever saw that one, but I definitely saw Ice Age. I think there might be three of those ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now they're owned by yeah they're owned by Disney, and and so I think Spies in Disguise is on Disney Plus. It's funny how it all ends up back at Disney, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of their earliest films, uh, Blue Sky, uh, was <laughs> actually a live action film. It, it was the fourth Alien movie. It was kind of funny to think. Uh, they, those uh, artists kind of began their careers at the studio designing these grotesque creatures for a, a horror movie or an action horror movie <laughs> and then went on to do cute cartoons. They got to keep it, they got to keep mixing it up. Otherwise, they're all going to get bored out of their minds. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's see. The, the declining revenues of the Disney Renaissance and the rise of computer-generated animation uh, is what precipitated the downfall of Fox Animation Studios with their second theatrical release, Titan AE, in 2000, which got mixed reviews and was a costly flop, losing $100 million for 20th Century Fox. <laughs> Oops. Uh, I mean, that's the risk you take. <laughs> it's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you liked it. And I mean, any any type of art, movies, painters, book writers, whatever. I mean, there's always going to be that risk that you pour your heart and soul into something or, or whatever, spend decades on it. And, and it's a flop. And people 20 years later are calling it a flop, which is too bad. People, yeah, think different things take on widely varying lives after their uh, their relief releases and initial poor receptions, such as being in the Halloween season, especially we're aware of things like Hocus Pocus um, and maybe even Nightmare Before Christmas, which I think was always a success, but nowadays it's just such an incredible phenomenon. Um, but yeah, Hocus Pocus was a genuine flop when that movie oh, was first was. released. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And see, I honestly didn't know that Bartok was a flop either until you, I mean, you're the one who kind of has the numbers and the facts with these, but I thought I Bartok know. was successful because there were McDonald's Bartok toys. And I always figure if like McDonald's has the toys. Okay. I actually. That, 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 that they're probably at a successful movie. I don't know how successful Bartok was. It, 
it probably was sort of middling. Um, but financially, like, do you know if like financially it was a success? I I have to look this up here because um, it it doesn't have a, you know your usual. Um, this is where you can put in the music. It, it uh, got, it was nominated for Outstanding Achievement in Animated Home Video Production at the 28th Annie Awards in 2000, losing to Disney's An Extremely Goofy Movie. It received a Gold Reel Award nomination for Best Sound Editing uh, for both television films and direct-to-video presentations from motion picture sound editors. Uh, yeah, I, it probably did okay. It probably did well enough on home video. Um, but it was it was mainly the failure of Titan AE that that did the studio in, um, and the the studio Fox Animation actually had been working on some other things um, that had to get shut down when the, the studio closed, uh, including a uh, <laughs> the a film called uh, Barlow's Inferno. What? <laughs> okay. I don't know. It's an adaptation of Wayne Barlow's illustrated novel uh, called Barlow's Inferno. Uh, so uh, some obscure little things <laughs> that, that the same studio had been working on at the time. Never saw the light of day. But yeah, um, Bartok the Magnificent, sort of a, a fun little anomaly at the time. Um, and, and yeah, a lot of interesting context with the, with this time in particular in the history of animation, um, the year 1999, uh, it was definitely a, uh, transitional time. Um, that was the same year Toy Story 2 came out, uh, and Tarzan, I believe was also 1999. I remember seeing Tarzan in theaters and I remember some of these that you're talking about. It's making me feel very old tonight <laughs> as, oh. I, as I think on these things. No, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, I, I don't know. I thought like Bartok, as much as it was sort of a, a fun little curiosity, I, it, it wasn't like embarrassing to watch or anything. It wasn't insulting. No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was kind of heartwarming and it, yeah. it really relied on his little comedic moments and his, I mean, accidental heroism. I thought it. I thought it was fine. It was. I'm not a big fan. I think of the. You know the Timon and Pumbaa type, the comedic relief Olaf characters. Mm -hmm. So Bartok to me never was like the character that I really really liked. Mm -hmm. But I didn't mind watching this movie at all. I thought I thought it was cute, and it's something I would show my nephew. Yeah, I think this is a great one to show kids. Um, and it's short, it, so it can yeah. hold their attention span, I think. And and like you said earlier, the vibrancy of this movie alone, mm -hmm. it's eye-catching. And that little that little pink worm character. Uh oh, Pilaf, um, Pilaf. I really liked her, and I, I liked the at the end when the villain's transforming into the dragon and things like that. It's, it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's cute. They threw a lot of things in here that were cute to me. Yeah. Um, I, I think I was kind of like really weirded out by that transformation when I was younger. Like that kind of thing was just always real psychedelic to me. We, you know, when characters transform into things in a weird way. Like I, I feel like that can be a little traumatic. 
So I, I'd be, you know, I'd just be um, a bit cautionary, you know, if you're showing this to a kid and they're sensitive to certain types of imagery, especially like that musical scene, yeah, where, uh, you know, Ludmilla, she takes the potion, she's mm -hmm. transforming into a dragon. There's like some disturbing imagery with uh, <laughs> with those prisoners that she has tied up. Like yeah. that was really messed up, I thought. Uh, she's quite the evil tyrant. Um, kind of, uh, she gave me Yzma vibes, certainly. Oh, is that Emperor's New Groove? Yeah. And it's probably because of the purple color scheme. I was saying this, yeah. all these villains, like purple seems to be a color that stands out for me. Because I think Yzma, she, she wore purple too and had like purple hair, purple eyes. Yeah, this was but, a couple. Yes, they reminded me of each other. They're both very skinny. Mm -hmm. It was a couple years before the Emperor's New Groove. Um, yeah, you had some of the actors, Hank Azaria, of course, returning from Anastasia as Bartok. I can't tell if he's doing like a, a Chicago accent or a, a Russian accent or some combination of the two, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, but it's great. I love his voice. It's, it's just very unique. Um, and Kelsey Grammer, uh, he played Vlad in Anastasia, and he's returning. He in this one, oh. he plays Z uh, Zozi the bear. I could hear that now that you say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and very like he's just such an incredible actor. Um, so it was good to have someone of that caliber behind, uh, you know, some of the voice talent in this film. It really lent some some credibility to the film. Um, Andrea Martin plays Baba Yaga, Catherine O'Hara as Ludmilla, Tim Curry as the skull. I liked the skull <laughs> a lot. I like the, um, the, the, oh my gosh, of course I'm drawing a blank. The riddles or... Right. The riddles, yeah, the, but the word's not riddles. The... Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, the riddles, but it's, okay, yeah, the riddles. I really certain... like that. It, it makes me think of uh, Lord of the Rings when... I don't know if it's in the actual Gollum. movies, but riddles Gollum. in the night or riddles yes. in the dark. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It reminds me of those scenes. And I, I always think that's really fun. I think they do a little bit of that in, um, is it pan's not pan's labyrinth, just labyrinth. The normal. Oh labyrinth. yeah. Yeah. That's yes. right. You and I, I think those are really cool. Mm -hmm. You know, you can only enter if you can answer this. Yeah. Uh, one of us can only lie and one of us can only tell the truth. Uh, that, was, that was a great moment from that film. Um, yeah, that you have uh, Jennifer Tilly as Pilaf. Uh, she's always kind of a sultry character in, in the films that she appears in. She's sort of a heartthrob sort of actress. Well, this time uh, she was a worm frozen on top of like a statue or something. Yeah. Why couldn't she get down this I worm? I don't know. It's, it's a like, very step up here. A very cute worm, and yeah, she's got a, a great voice. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> she's like frozen up there. Or I don't. Yeah, I mean, it made me think of like the the barnacle creatures in the Little oh, Mermaid. Yes, the, the <laughs> Ursula's prisoners, <laughs> and how they're just stuck. Uh, but obviously, this is a cute version of that. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, um, it, it was just so kind of trippy. Some of the imagery in this film, like the forest of metal, 
these these metal boulders they refer to them as. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know what those were. Yeah, me neither. It's it, like they seem like they're almost remains from like some kind of ancient technological civilization that's been long forgotten. And, and they're like, I, I guess notes and hints of that in some of the Miyazaki films. Like I think Castle in the Sky, there's you know, thematically like a, an ancient civilization that built these like flying cities and stuff and, and ancient technology that the people currently can't really understand. I think there's t- that type of thing, you know, in a film like that. Atlantis. Is that sort of like yeah. Atlant- oh, I was yeah. just going to say sort of like Atlantis. Uh, that's what it makes me think of. Exactly. Like, yeah, retro future technology. Exactly. Um, but that that wasn't the theme, the theming for this film. So it was a bit, yeah, confusing why that was the, the choice. Uh, but it makes you think. I mean, it makes the adventure even more adventurous because you really don't know what you're going to stumble upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, you kind of get those Greek mythology vibes when you're faced with just such almost nonsensical um, situations like this. Oh, that's you, what you I was going to say when we started talking about it. One of the little myth things that I did recognize was the Baba Yaga. And I wanted to say on here that I, I thought it was funny because in this movie, they sort of make her, I mean, they do make her to be very kind. I mean, she, in the, in the long run, she's helping Bartok, but the Baba Yaga that I've heard about is like eating children and mm-hmm. quite evil and, and never really helping anyone. So it was kind of mm-hmm. cute that they turned her around and she was really trying to. Yeah. I mean, move him along on his journey because mm -hmm. with most mythology for her she probably would have eaten him or killed him (laughs) yeah she was so sympathetic and that was kind of nice i mean witches are often portrayed as evil uh and and you know someone who can use tremendous power you know someone who's magical or a witch you know could use that power to abuse people around them and i think that you know that would often be kind of the stereotype back in the ancient times when they told these types of stories uh, to, to sort of as you know, moral parables and fables to like you know, teach kids lessons and keep them a bit world weary. <laughs> uh, well, but- you see that with a lot of, someday we should go and we should do a like podcast on the origins of some of the classic fairy tales because that'd be really fun. But um, a lot of times, yeah, these stories were made to keep children in their place more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. So who's to say there weren't plenty of nice witches? Yeah, they just didn't well. get stories because what would kids learn from nice witches? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, the, the, the house that walks, like that's an image that you see in, in a variety of different things. Yeah, the Baba Yaga. It's, it's like her house has the legs of a chicken or something. Yes, so weird, so creepy. <laughs> and she flies around in a mortar and pestle. <laughs> That was pretty Wait, are you fun. reading that somewhere or was that in the movie oh yeah did you see at the end you know she was what she was flying around in uh-uh i must have blinked a little too long oh yeah it was it was a mortar and pestle if that's pestle pestle you know the, the little thing that you use to grind mm-hmm. up herbs and yeah um instead of a broom that's what she has <laughs> so weird yeah 
Yeah. The, I, I just get a kick out of how the house on stilts is sort of like a vehicle in Star Wars. I wonder if that was maybe an inspiration for George Lucas uh, when, you know, he, he went ahead with some of these designs. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you've seen uh, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. I know what you're referring to, but I, yeah. I wouldn't be able to like pinpoint it. There, there are uh, these mechanical uh, walker vehicles out in the forest that are. Uh, <gasps> yep, yeah, I've seen them in trailers. Mm-hmm. They're they're savaging the uh, the rebels, um, and, and the Ewoks, which are the the furry creatures that are having to fight off the Empire along with the rebels <laughs> on the forest moon. Yeah, it's kind of funny. They're like little Baba Yaga houses. Well, everybody draws inspiration from everywhere. So for all you know, somebody who was helping design that saw a Baba Yaga sketch from a long time ago and it imprinted on their brain. And then Mm -hmm. 20 years later, they created those machines. It's weird how how things like that sometimes work if you try to dig back, back, back into Mm -hmm. the ways that you got inspired to create what what you're creating. It's like nothing's really original. Like everything's drawing from something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the things that really provoked tremendous uh, imagination for me as a young kid being influenced by things like Star Wars, um, you know, just how convincing some of these visual effects were on screen, particularly those, uh, you know, mechanical uh, vehicles in, in Star Wars, you know, in the the forest setting. It was like, it was so real. And yet, you don't see anything like that in the, in the real world. You probably will in the not too distant future. Cause like they're finally figuring out how to make uh, sort of large, you know, bipedal uh, robotic objects that are capable of like those, those sorts of maneuvers. Um, but uh, yeah, back in 1983, when that movie came out, like it was, it was in the, far distant future yet somehow they were able to make it seem perfectly real mm-hmm. um i feel like good stories and good movies can do that yeah 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 and animation in particular like before you know you really had the rise of really convincing visual effects in live action films like star wars um animation was really the only um outlet where you could take these ideas and and portray them in a way that was sort of tangible Uh, and now what do you think as you're saying you know back then that was the way to do it do you think now there's other ways of taking your imagination and making it um (laughs) as opposed yeah well people talk about virtual reality which okay Mm -hmm. i i think has sort of a a barrier because of like you have to put on goggles and it's it's not quite as communal an experience for people oh you know, yeah video games too like being they're more interactive but at the same time um there's a certain things i think film overall excuse me is like the sort of most comprehensive way you can convey a, a story that is just so lifelike and um you can actually believe that what you're seeing is is taking place in an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the verisimilitude of film is is probably the greatest out of any 
um, visual or storytelling medium uh, because of its versatility. And especially nowadays, um, Jody, I think the thing that makes live action film in particular the most uh, accessible way to make some fantastical idea real mm -hmm. is is because um, we can now use computer animation to create objects, scenery, yeah. you know, that that is sort of indistinguishable from something in the physical world. Um, so yeah, I, I think computer animation ultimately has become sort of like, you know, what hand-drawn animation was during, you know, Walt Disney and, and Chuck Jones, you know, the, that early uh, era of filmmaking um, where, you know, you can almost, it, you, you know, if you can dream it, <laughs> you, you can yeah, do it. you can do it. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, yeah, like the, all this is definitely what you're saying. What it ultimately boils down to is like your dreams coming into reality. So yeah. it makes me wonder, like, is there another like step, you know, now, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like in 20 years, like, so are people going to be looking back at, you know, this and be like, well, now we have that, you know, the way we're looking back at Bartok yeah. and that animated story, you know? I, I think it'd be kind of crazy and kind of fun. Like if audio animatronic technology could become so advanced that you could have uh, characters running around a theme park that looked like you know actual mm -hmm. you know but uh, wo uh <laughs> buzz and woody from toy story for right. example that look exactly like it as opposed to you know these mascot type characters yeah i mean i don't know if anyone listening or if you have been oh yeah we we did go to the star wars area of disneyland mm -hmm. where they have the i don't know the names of these characters but the the white the stormtroopers yeah and having them walk around and of course that's not as as whimsical of a character that it's not as imaginary as a character yeah but there is something really bizarre about seeing it exactly the way you see it in the movies mm -hmm. so it would be cool to see what they could do eventually yeah well it is kind of fun they do have like uh, the robot characters um in the park sometimes too and that's fun because it's not just a person in a costume um, so, so there have been occasions where they've done things like that, and that that gets me excited. But I don't think they're ever, ever, ever going to have a bar talk flying around. I just don't <laughs> think that movie really made the cut this time. Yeah, sometimes they do bring out pretty obscure costume characters for meet and greets and special events. Uh, it'd be fun to see a bar talk, but who knows? Did did the, the this animation studio, you know, something I think about a lot is, you know, how Disney went ahead and made a theme park. Besides mm -hmm. Universal, did any of these other studios ever make, I mean, obviously not a Disney world, but did they ever make like some type of live entertainment mm. type thing? Do you know? Mm. Or, or is Disney and Universal it as far as that type of I, I know 20th Century Fox like wanted to build a Disneyland style theme park in Saudi Arabia, I believe, or or United Arab Emirates, some someplace like that. It just never got off the ground. I think the recession hit and it just got canceled. Um, but you never know. Well, Fox, it won't be 20th Century Fox like they they won't ever have any ambitions to do something like that now that they're a part of Disney. But um, 
Like, yeah, it's, th- there are some interesting theme parks around the world, but I think as far as film studios go, it's just Disney and Universal that have the big resorts. Um, and then Paramount uh, or Viacom, you know, they have a couple, but they're smaller. And I think they're all indoors because yeah, here in Minnesota, they have Nickelodeon Universe. Oh, right. There you go. That's an example. That's a perfect example of what yeah. I'm thinking of. I think there's one in New Jersey too, like another Viacom or Nickelodeon theme park, uh, theme, themed park over there, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's mainly just Disney and Universal. And then sometimes they'll partner with another studio like Universal did with Warner Brothers to get the Harry Potter world. Um, and then Universal Studios in Florida has a lot of Marvel characters in their parks because they had a contract with Marvel that was formed well before Disney bought, the, you know, bought Marvel Comics. Um, and, and Simpsons also appear in some Universal Studios parks as well. So a lot of, lot of different spinoffs, but yeah, Anastasia, I don't think does have a presence anywhere or, or things like, I guess if, if you wanted to have Land Before Time, that is a universal property, but that's sort of overshadowed by Jurassic Park in terms of its brand recognition. So they just have a lot of Jurassic Park themed stuff at the universal parks. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of <laughs> a little. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get them back to bar talk, but I'm not really sure how. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, um, uh, it's Halloween time and uh, kind of fun to talk about these things. Theme parks are especially popular during Halloween season, but of course now COVID, like, <laughs> So much well, for I mean, that. They all, they all sort of tie together. The theme parks tie in with these movies because they're all like yeah. they're all kind of taking us away from our reality. They're trying to give us this experience. Uh, yeah. You know, that that's just what this distracts is, us. Yeah, that's what this is all about. I was gonna bring up the labors of Hercules. Uh, speaking of Greek mythology, that's kind of what the three tasks that Bartok is given uh, in this film kind of reminded me of. Uh-huh. It reminded me, any type of quest reminds me of the musical Into the Woods because yeah. you have to go out into the woods and find these four different things. Okay. Um, so that's what it reminded me of. But uh, nothing wrong with a good old-fashioned quest. It just kind of seems, I don't know, it's sort of, sort of boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was kind of interesting how Bartok was able to like lift these crazy metal sculptures. Uh, but like at the beginning of the film, He's doing these um, stunts as a part of his little Bartok, the Magnificent Traveling Stage show. And at one point he lifts this, uh, this gray weight uh, that, ha- that says like a thousand pounds or something on it. Um, but it, you can see from the back that it's hollow. Uh, it's He's just kind a of a con trick. man. <laughs> well yeah yeah a little bit i mean i'm not not to like I, that probably has more of a negative connotation to it but he i mean it's like a blow-up dragon and you know what's kind of cute is at the very end it's like he actually defeats a real dragon as opposed to the beginning where he's fighting the balloon dragon you know yeah and see things like that definitely lend 
some good like creative integrity to this film because yeah you have that uh, opening number uh, of him doing his little act and then that comes full circle in the finale when he he actually does fight a, a real dragon so it was kind of cool to see that that pay off as well as it did but yeah he's faking that he's lifting these weights during his little show and then later on in the metal forest uh like he's having to rig up all these crazy pulley systems and lifting up all these metal sculptures and it's just it, it's very uh exaggerated shall we say it makes me wonder how he went from that to working for rasputin but continue yeah yeah no he's like he's even uh, you know cursed to not be able to fly for that was it the third task, uh, which is especially debilitating <laughs> for him as a bat. Um, but yeah, somehow he's able to complete these things as improbable as they seem. Um, so I don't know, it, it did, sometimes that takes me out of it when it's just, you know, he's pulling off these crazy stunts that just have no bearing in, in a sort of grounded uh, reality no no regard for physics whatsoever um but i don't know this is it's meant to be a pretty abstract film so i uh i kind of accept just the willingness that these um artists um had to like just push the limits of the animation medium i I always do appreciate that to some degree me too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Me too. Yeah, just a, a lot of crazy imagery in this movie, which uh, which was cool. It doesn't get too like trippy or, or anything. I, I didn't think. Um, I, I feel like Anastasia maybe has some moments that are even more like out of this world, sort of bizarre than than even this movie does. Um, but yeah, overall, it's just sort of like a a fun, colorful, adventurous romp that, you know, is meant to be pretty low stakes, but also, you know, there, there's some, there's some fun, scary elements too, to keep you on your toes. Yeah. It's an imaginative little, like fantastic little dream type movie. It was good. Yeah. Journey, a journey into Baba's iron forest. And uh, we learned that Baba Yaga uh, might not be so bad after all. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> John Wick, he's got a heart of gold, <laughs> even though I, I think I've only seen the third John Wick movie, but I, I think he's sometimes referred to as Baba Yaga, which is odd because he's a dude, but I don't know. Yeah, and I don't know if he's Russian. Yeah, he is Russian. You find out in the third movie that John Wick's not his real name. Um, but overall, while he's uh, he's a crazy wizard with a gun, uh, deep down he's he's got uh, a heart of gold. A, a, a heart of gold, yes. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he loves his dog, and his wife. Um, no spoilers. All right. <laughs> I don't know. Good perspective work on Baba Yaga's stick of butter for a nose. <laughs> uh, gosh. Yeah, some some great character designs here. I don't know, music was kind of, she has that catchy number, sort of a, a friend like me vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I thought the music was okay. There was only like what five songs in there. Yeah, yeah. Bartok has a little song in his opening act. I don't know Kelsey Grammer. He didn't. He had a bit of a song at some. Yeah, he he sings that song outside of the gates of Moscow. That convinces Bartok to uh, to go after Ivan, who is presumed in, uh, in under the captivity of Baba Yaga. Uh, obviously, it's not. <laughs> it was Ludmilla who orchestrated the uh, the capture, the uh, the hostage taking of of young Prince Ivan. Uh, no surprise there that she ended up being the villain in the end. Yeah, if you don't figure that out <laughs> within the first five minutes, like. Yeah, it's kind of funny how like you they find Ivan up in the tower and Ludmilla's like why didn't you just she's chewing out the guard uh who's this this dumb simpleton simpleton yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah kind of silly how why he complied with Ludmilla's orders in the first place but he was like oh I'll just put him up in the tower so he's safe and doesn't die I guess even though Ludmilla would have preferred if he he pulled a cronk well I'm just making this realization now he basically mm-hmm. does exactly what Kronk does in The Emperor's New Groove, only, you know, instead of, like, letting Cusco survive, he, you know, puts Vlad, or no, Ivan, up in the tower and keeps him alive there. Just doesn't have quite the same laugh-out-loud moments as The Emperor's New Groove does. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a 66-minute little joyride that, uh, if you want to check it out, <laughs> do so if you're Please still do so. Yeah, stuck at home you might as well yeah all right well we've fairly well exhausted bartok the magnificent um jody thanks so much for coming on and chatting with me on the thodcast conversations about animation i don't know did you have any more thoughts on like I anastasia don't. or yeah oh. just mm. yeah no, I like I said, I feel like you guys covered it really well last week. And my main thing was Rasputin anyway. And I thought I'd have more to say about Bartok, but I think like we covered this one too. So I'm feeling pretty good. Like I got all my words out. Yeah, no, we've been going on long enough and we're teetering on the edge of collapse here. <laughs> trying to struggle <laughs> for things to really... Off. Yeah. I don't know, I, but I think we managed to sort of rein it in before but i'm sure the people listening are like oh are they gonna have to like cut into some kind of yeah the, the uh uh what's that one song um the da 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 uh <laughs> what is uh, it oh okay. i i uh, i'm blanking on it now the name of that song <laughs> the um, people the people listening in their cars are like let us go already <laughs> no exactly and uh i uh i don't want to keep them waiting any longer so we shall let you all bid y'all adieu have your uh, best days (laughs) yeah jody where can people listening find you yeah if you want to know more about bartok follow no no if you want to follow me i'm actually know what i just i'm about to delete like all my social media because i watched this movie called social dilemma Mm -hmm. and i am a lemming like that so (laughs) you know what i'm probably gonna give up on it anyway so follow me on instagram (laughs) it's jody pulaski j-o-d-i-p-o-l-a-s-k-y and and i'll probably be on there once i give up giving up social media that's fair the spanish flea that's the name of the song 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to lose sleep over that. Experiencing technical difficulties song. And then you also brought up the Jeopardy theme earlier, which is another Yeah, yeah, one. yeah. When we were looking up the, <laughs> the figures of the, the pricing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, okay. Find Thodcast on uh, our website, thodcast.com. Uh, also on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Um, and uh, you follow me, uh, Philip Elke, on uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Philip Elke. Totally fair to everyone who's now seen Netflix as the social dilemma and wants to delete all their social media. I totally understand that sentiment, especially right now in the midst of election season. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, Let's keep yeah. talking about bar talk. Anything yeah. but the election. You can also find Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram, at Thodcast. It's another way to engage with us if you so desire well uh wonderful having you back on the show jody hope to get back in this um fun animated conversations it is the spooky season so i thought maybe something that had to do with bats and uh sorcery might be fun to cover so that's why i decided to pick out bar talk the magnificent but yeah it's it's an interesting curiosity from the year 1999 and probably i believe the first direct-to-video uh, animated film that we've covered on this show. It's, it's almost more like a, just a little TV special <laughs> in its presentation. But yeah, check it out. Um, and to all of you out there listening, uh, stay tuned for more Thodcasts. And as always, have a magical day and a wonderful week. Warm hugs. Warm hugs.